Well, good morning, church. Oh, that was terrible. Good morning, church. Good morning. Hey, uh, it's NFL playoff time, and I, I recognize that some of you are not woo-wooing this morning. And if that's you, might I just say, hey, the Chiefs fandom is always open. So come to us. All right. If you're if you're a Packers fan, that was rough, man. That was a hard loss. I really do. I hurt for you. So the next go Bills. Mm. I have so many things to say in this moment that I will not. Uh, I'm so glad that you're here. My name is DJ. I'm the associate minister here at the summit. And as Brian said, we're concluding this morning uh, this series called Gentle and Lowly. And so I want to dive right in. Now, I'm going to ask a question, but this is an engagement question, all right? So I, I was telling our membership class this morning, I'm more teacher than I am preacher. And so I want your engagement right here, okay? So feel free. When you think of a friend, what do you think of? When you think of a friend, what do you think of? A confidant. What else? Someone who listens. Keep going. Someone you trust. What about this side? You're not on that side. Someone who's got your back. You're not off the hook. I'm still waiting. Someone who can be your rock. Now let's go over here. What do you got when you think of friend? Longevity. Longevity. Very nice. Very nice. I've been thinking about this question for the last couple weeks. When you think of friend, what what do you think of? What is a friend? And I'm going to be honest. It's really hard to answer this question. I mean, I would love to come in here this morning and say, okay, here is what a friend is. I don't have an answer. I truly don't. Because when you think of this word, when you think of friend, when you think of friendship, it's a question that's really hard to answer succinctly, right? I mean, we can, we can spend some time and we can throw out some more qualities, some more ideas, and we can make a list that's going to grow and grow and grow because in all reality, most of us think about and have experienced friendship differently. Most of us would say that we have different needs, different desires when it comes to friendships, so let's do, a little, uh, let's do a little experiment. Maybe when you think of friend, you think of something like, like this. All right, so this is the movie Stand By Me, classic movie, right? And so maybe when you think of friendship, maybe you have that one group of friends that you'll never forget, right? Maybe you aren't even still connected now, but it's those type of friends where if you are, uh, maybe you've been apart for a while, but when you come back together, it's like you never missed a beat. Right? Like you can jump right back in. Maybe you spent some time growing up. Maybe it was in college, just running around with a group of friends. Maybe you went through the woods looking for dead bodies. If you're lost, that was the plot point in the movie. That didn't just take a dark turn there. But maybe that's what you think of when you think of friend. Maybe when you think of friend, you think something more like this Guardians of the Galaxy, right? Uh, I would argue that many Marvel movies, say that five times fast, many Marvel movies are, have to do with friendship in some capacity. But my argument as a movie connoisseur would be that this movie is the only Marvel movie that is about friendship. It's about friendship. Here you have this ragtag group of people that have no business being together. 
that start with a lot of diversity, a lot of baggage, uh, a lot of even hatred to some extent. And the movie is all about them coming together and experiencing friendship. And so maybe you've been part of a group like that, right? You have your group of, of BFFs. Maybe back in the day you shared mixtapes, right? Or playlists if it's more modern for you, right? But you have that, that group of friends. You, you did, um, I've, I've experienced, I've experienced it. I've never been part of this, but I've experienced friends that just have random dance-offs like together. You're like, wait a second, how did we get to this point? What's happening right now, right? But maybe that's you. Maybe you know exactly what that looks like and what that feels like. Let's do one more. Maybe when you think about friendship, you go here to the breakfast club. Again, classic movie, right? Well, teens in the breakfast club, they aren't friends at the beginning. Why? Because of different circles, different cliques, different status of popularity. But it's a common experience that brings all of them together. I made some great friends in detention. <laughs> and some of you did too. But maybe it's that kind of experience, right? You just, you had this one common experience that you weren't friends with them before, but because of this one event, because of this one thing that kind of forced you all together, you found a bond. But here's the problem. Our community, our culture, and I would say even our world as a whole, we have so many definitions of friendship. Some of us, you may not have experienced another culture apart from Missouri or apart from the Midwest. Uh, my wife and I, we, were, uh, we lived in Atlanta before we lived here. And I'll just tell you, you step foot in any church in Atlanta and 20 people will walk up to you and in their mind, they just became your best friend. Like, that's just how it works there. Like, they swarm you, and they're like, they want to know everything about you and their story, and it's like they've known you your whole life, and you're just like, whoa, 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 buddy. Like, we just met. But it's a, it's a different place. It's a different culture. It's a different experience. Maybe you've been out of the country. You've been uh, to somewhere else, and, and they think of friendship. They express friendship a whole lot differently than we do here in the U.S., but the point is this, friendship for us has gotten extremely muddy to a degree. That for many of us, and I would challenge you this, sit, sit sometime this week and see how long it takes you to come up with a one-sentence definition of friendship that isn't about just one quality. Because friendship has gotten muddy. We don't completely understand what it means. We don't completely understand what it looks like. And for many of us, we don't even really know why it is valuable. We've been walking through this series, which I've loved. I hope you have too, this gentle and lowly series. And, and I personally have just been blown away as we've looked at and experienced and really dove into the tender and loving qualities that our God is, that that is who he is. And as we've looked into the heart of Christ, as what he tells us, that he is gentle and lowly too, hugely 
impactful characteristics. I hope what you've experienced in the last few weeks is that you've really experienced the invitation to come, the invitation to find rest. And then as we're going to unpack a little bit today, also the invitation to learn from a gentle and lowly God. And there are many ways that we could wrap this series up, but I think the best way for us at, at this point is to experience what it means when we see Jesus as a friend. Now, let me give you a disclaimer. At some point in this sermon, if you haven't already, your mind is going to flash back to the year 1970. And there was a Christian rock group called Sunseeds, and they came out with a song called Jesus is a Friend of Mine. And it became a YouTube hit about 10 years ago. You guys know what song I'm talking about? Jesus is a friend of mine. Jesus is my friend. Jesus is a I have a friend in Jesus. Right? If you have no idea what I'm talking about, I'm going to give you the greatest gift that I can this morning. <laughs> Go watch that on YouTube later today. And then I know you will bombard me this week with just notes of gratitude and thanks that I have broadened your minds and your experience. But think about this. When you think about titles of Jesus that we see in Scripture, there are so many that we could go through, right? We see him in, in John, right? He's, he's the Word. We see him referred to many times throughout the Gospels as teacher. We see him as the Christ. That's not his last name. That's a title. We see him as the Messiah, the Son of God. Lord, King, Redeemer, Prophet, Lion of Judah. And the list goes on and on and on. All these different titles that Scripture unpacks as we read through. But there's one title that's different than all the rest. And that's this title of friend. Because it's really the only title in this list that's mutual. That's, that's more relational on a deeper level than any other title. And so let me change the question that I asked earlier just a little bit. When you think of Jesus as a friend, what comes to mind? Because as I mentioned, we live in a world and a time and a culture that the value of friendship is a lot different than it was in the time of Jesus. In my life anyway, and I would say all of us have experienced this, friend has become kind of this uh, ubiquitous title, right? Everybody's your friend. Everybody's your buddy, your pal. And that's probably just because I forgot your name, right? Say, oh, hey, what's up, friend? Oh, hey, what's up, buddy? What's up, pal? What's up, sport? Don't call me sport, but people use that, right? But you get what I'm saying? Especially with the dawn of social media. I have thousands of friends, guys. And 95% of them I've never met. Right? Let's flash back a little bit. You guys remember the time of MySpace? Some of you do. MySpace was legit. And MySpace did this thing, which looking back, it was extremely rude. You had to figure out who your top 10 friends were. And then you had to broadcast it so that everybody else knew. I remember, people would take you out of their top tens list. 
or they would move you, like you were number two, but now you're seven, because you didn't comment on my shoes, right? And then I think, I try to remember this, but I think there was also a time where we all kind of rallied around Tom. You guys remember Tom from MySpace? I think his name was Tom, right? And he was like all of our number one friends. He was the creator of MySpace, I think. Or he was a creepy guy who hacked all of our MySpaces and just became our friend. But this is kind of the idea that I'm talking about. Over the last several years, this term friend has really gotten cloudy. And anybody kind of falls into this category. In fact, I didn't know this until last week, you can earn money being hired as a friend. Like if you need to, you can go, there's apps that you can go and you can pick out somebody to be your friend for the day. I'm not making this up. But that's where we've come to. And I know I'm, I'm bringing in extremes here, right? I mean, there's, there's many of us in here we, where we have experienced truly what friendship is. We have truly experienced what it feels like and what it means to truly be in a deep relationship with somebody. And we have these friendships that have lasted over time, they've lasted through hard experiences. They've been kind of forged in the fire, if you will, as we've experienced life together. And I want you to frame our conversation this morning on the foundation of that kind of relationship. Not these other kind of abstract views of friendship, but on those that are really formed together. Those that have experienced and lived and gone through the ugliness of life together. We've been looking at a passage in Matthew chapter 11. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to go there. You can go to the summitstl.info. You can follow along with our sermon notes there. But verses 28 uh, through 30 that we've been kind of looking at, that's still going to be kind of our base camp passage for this morning. But I want to unpack three things for us today that I think are extremely beneficial for us to really understand the heart of Jesus, and even more, to answer that question practically, what do we do knowing that the heart of Jesus is gentle and lowly? And so what I want to do this, I want to unpack how do we see Jesus as friend? How do we experience Jesus as friend? And then how do we learn from Jesus as a friend? So see, experience, and learn. So let's dive in, Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Hopefully this is, you, you should be memorizing this at this point, but Jesus says this, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Verse 29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. There's still so much that we can unpack in this passage, but I want to focus on what Jesus says kind of in the middle. It's something we really haven't addressed a whole lot yet, but he gives us an invitation, right? The invitation is to come, but then he gives us a call to act. And that call to act is right in the middle, in verse 39, where he says, come and learn from me. Now take that in for just a second. Come and learn from me. And the reason why I want to camp out there is because I think it can be misunderstood that Jesus only invites us to come. But there's a call there. 
Yes, I welcome you with open arms. I welcome you wherever you are. I welcome you. Come, find rest. But I want you to learn from me. I want you to hear my words. I want you to see my actions. I want you to experience the love, the grace that I'm showing you. And I want you to learn from that. And he's using this illustration here of a yoke. And a yoke, you've probably heard this before, is a, farming, a piece of farming equipment, and it joins two animals together. A lot of times it was oxen that was joined together uh, so that the animals can share the workload evenly. But what's interesting, and I, I didn't know this, um, but a lot of times what they would do is they would take an older ox and they would yoke it with a younger ox. If you've ever seen the, the animated movie The Star, you guys know what I'm talking about? Yes, I'm getting some nods. Okay, cool. You should watch it. It's really good. But that's kind of the idea at the beginning is that you have this, this older animal attached to this younger animal, and they're kind of experiencing this together. And the idea is that the younger one is learning from the older one, that, that there's a training going on. And that's what Jesus is inviting us into. By using this example, what he's asking us to do is there's an invitation to share in the partnership of the gospel to share in the ministry of the gospel that he came to do and that he is going to train us, he is going to teach us, that we will be yoked with him and learn from him as we sit and rest at his feet. And I believe one of the biggest lessons that Jesus taught us is actually found earlier in this chapter in Matthew. If you go up about 10 verses to Matthew chapter, uh, chapter 11, verse 19, there's this interesting dialogue that's happening here, and there are uh, people that are coming and surrounding Jesus, and then there are Pharisees that are kind of on the outskirts, and what they're doing is they're kind of judging what he's doing. They're kind of pointing their finger, right, and, and they're kind of uh, nitpicking at what he's doing. And here's what they say in verse 19. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, or sorry, this is what Jesus says. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. And so Jesus is addressing the same group of people that he addresses later in Matthew. And he's answering this question because the Pharisees are judging him for who he's associating with, for who he's spending his time with. They're, in a sense, judging him that this invitation to come is kind of this open invitation to all who will accept it. And what Jesus said is, is actually really interesting. He, he says, hey, let's, let's talk for a minute, because John the Baptist came, and he prepared the way, right? That was his goal, and he did so in an unexpected way, right? He fasted. He lived in the wilderness. He kind of separated himself from the, the everyday life of society, kind of lived this life of uh, a little bit of seclusion. And the Pharisees looked at him, and they said, he has a demon. This guy, there's, he's just weird. There's something about him, and so he must be possessed. Jesus came, and he does ministry in the exact opposite way, kind of, where he engages in everyday life. He engages with people. And the, the Pharisees look at him, and they say, look at this guy. He's a He's a drunk. He's a glutton. And really what the, the issue is here with the Pharisees is that they really don't understand what Jesus came to do. They don't understand his heart. They don't understand the mission and the ministry that Jesus came to usher in. 
And you can keep unpacking this even further because what's happening is the people that Jesus is choosing to sit with, the people that Jesus is choosing to love are people that the Pharisees would physically distance themselves from. That if they were walking down one side of the road, the Pharisee would go to the other side of the road so that they could be as far far away as possible from them. And what I find ironic is what do they say? What title do the Pharisees give him? In Matthew 11, 19, they say, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And it's like, duh. Yes. That is who he is. But here's the challenge for us. The challenge in seeing Jesus as a friend is when many of us think of him that way. Here's what we think. We think of Jesus walking down the street, looking for an open bar, walking in, going in and sitting down at the counter and talking to the regulars that are there. And he's surrounded by these people who are on their fourth, fifth, sixth drink. And he's just chatting it up. He's just hanging out. Maybe playing a game of darts. Right? It's just kind of this idea. And then he leaves the bar. And he walks down the street. And he, he goes into the brothel that's down the street. And he waits there and he visits with the prostitutes as they wait for their next client. And he hangs out with them. Just kind of talks. And I think for many, when we see Jesus as a friend of sinners, what we see is Jesus as our buddy. Jesus is our pal. Jesus is the one who comes and sits next to us, strikes up a conversation. The one who meets us where we're at and then hangs out with us. But here's a distinction that I want us all to understand. Jesus very much meets us where we're at. But this idea that I've unpacked is not Jesus as our friend. Rather, what we see is we see Jesus flip things upside down in his ministry. That whereas the religious leaders, they lived this life of of pointed fingers and held noses, that you stay away because you're not as good as I am. Rather, Jesus comes on the scene and he comes with this posture of openness and gentleness and lowliness. Not with pointed fingers, but with arms that are stretched out saying, anybody who wants to, come to me. Find rest. Learn from me. 
And then what, what happens is that as the news of this one who is flipping culture, flipping society on its head, bringing in a true definition, a true vision of what friendship is, that what happens is the word gets back to the drunkard who's sitting at the bar. And they want to go and experience this. Why? Because they've spent their life in a society that held their nose at him. They've spent their life forced into this aloneness, to this isolation. That it was the posture of Jesus that drew people to him. That it was the posture of Jesus that caused the prostitute to go and seek after him. But catch this, not because they were ready to leave their life of sin but because they've heard that there is one who welcomes them not with pointed judgment. And as they sit at the feet of Jesus and as they learn from him, as they are yoked with him, then the goodness and the truth of the gospel begins to transform them. That's Jesus as a friend, inviting the outcast who then, as scripture unfolds, would then go and tell the other outcasts. And the multitudes began to gather at the feet of Jesus. Kevin DeYoung, he wrote this article, which is extremely interesting, very insightful. And if I can, I can summarize it, uh, I would say it this way. He, he says in here, if we were to celebrate that the Lord Jesus is a glorious friend of sinners, and we should, we must pay careful attention to the ways in which Jesus actually was a friend of sinners. And catch this part, because it's extremely important. Jesus was a friend of sinners, not because he winked at sin, ignored sin, or enjoyed lighthearted revelry with those engaged in immorality. Again, keep that distinction in mind. Not the buddy. Not the guy just going to hang out. But Jesus was a friend of sinners in that he came to save sinners and was very pleased to welcome sinners who were open to the gospel, sorry for their sins, and on their way to putting their faith in him. Friends, when we begin to see Jesus' as friend, when we look into his heart, we begin to see one who welcomes the most despicable, the most isolated, the most vulnerable with open arms. And in Matthew eleven nineteen, 19, the Pharisees are looking at a group of people who listen to Jesus' invitation, who began to understand what it meant when Jesus says, come all who are weary, come all who are burdened, come all who are alone, come all who are outcast, come all who are broken sinners, come and learn from me. And as people saw this, people began to experience it. And so how do we experience Jesus' friend? Again, this is another question that I've, I've wrestled with over and over, but I, I think it's best to start here. Do you remember the first person you became friends with? I do. Let me tell you a story. 
So I went through, I was about six, seven years old, I went through a deep Power Rangers phase. Like deep. Like sh a little shameful deep. Like I had, I had a Power Rangers phone. It was the Red Ranger, and you would pick his leg off, and that was the phone. It was legit. It was never connected to anything, because I didn't have a phone line in my room, but it didn't stop me, right? So my dad, uh, one year for, I don't remember if it was Christmas or my birthday or something, he got me the Red Ranger Power Ranger suit. Now, I was a little disappointed because I wanted green because I wanted to be like Tommy. If you grew up with the old school Power Rangers, you know what I'm talking about. Everybody wanted to be like Tommy, right? But I was like, all right, I'll take this. And so I went through this phase where it was like, okay, I'm going to wear this Red Ranger suit all the time. And so part of my uh, experience in all of this is I would go out and I would fight the bad guys, right? I mean, typical, typical boy stuff, right, growing up. So I would go, I would put my Red Ranger suit on, I would go down into my garage, and I would pick out my weapon. And it was something, whatever I could reach from my dad's tool chest, oftentimes a hammer of some sort, right? So I would grab the hammer, and I would go out into the woods, and I would fight the bad guys, a.k.a. a tree, I would just sit there, and I would just like, you know, do what boys do. And then I remember one day, I was out there fighting crime, making the world a safer place, and this kid walks by through the woods, and both of us stop and stare at each other. And he's probably thinking, this is how I die. <laughs> Some deranged kid dressed as a Power Ranger, with a hammer, in the woods. And I thought, why isn't this guy dressed up like a Power Ranger, with a hammer, in the woods, right? And so this, there's this like few seconds, I remember this just like it was yesterday, there's this few seconds where we're both just staring at me, and we start to do this thing that kids do. I, I see my kids do this from now on, so it's a real thing, but we start to kind of inch closer to each other. Like, if we get too close, we might explode, and so you better do it very slowly. So we kind of we get closer, and we haven't really said anything yet. He's looking at me. I'm looking back at him. And he asks me, very logical question, what are you doing? And I said, fighting bad guys. And his response, no joke, he said, do you have another hammer? And we instantly became best friends. Like, that was the moment. We went back to my dad's garage, we got another hammer, and him and I spent the rest of the afternoon just fighting bad guys in the woods. It was incredible. We're still friends to this day. His, his name's Austin. He's moved to Texas. But, but he's one of those, like I talked about earlier, where we can just talk. And it's like no time has passed. But you know how I knew that he was going to be a good friend? Because I looked and acted absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> and he chose to hang out with me anyway. See, my fear is for some of us, we haven't bought into that concept with Jesus. Our fear for some of us is we feel like Jesus looks at us and he believes that we're looking and acting absolutely ridiculous. And he wants nothing to do with us. 
or that our past or our present for that matter. It's just too messy. It's too much. And so rather than go and seek him out, we choose to just sit where we are. And we don't hear the invitation to the broken sinner, to the outcast, to come. And there are others then who live their lives kind of on the other side. And they're more like the Pharisee who's kind of standing on the sideline, just kind of watching, taking it in, pointing fingers, saying Jesus wouldn't hang out with them. Jesus wouldn't hang out with them because of what they believe. Jesus wouldn't hang out with them because of how they act. Jesus wouldn't hang out with them because of who they come from, where they come from. We're the good ones, right? We're the ones. We live, we live pretty good lives. Jesus would hang out with us. But when we understand the gospel, what we realize is that both of us are sinners. Both of us are broken. Both of us are outcasts. And the invitation to both is to come. that we need to experience the friendship of Jesus. We need to experience the rest that he provides because our souls desperately desire the constant, fruitful, comfortable, saving, eternal relationship that's found in the friendship of Jesus. So how do we learn from that then? How do we, how do we learn from Jesus as friend. I really do. I pray, if you haven't experienced that, I pray that you would experience what it is to come to Jesus in your mess. To come to Jesus knowing that you don't have it together, but that he says, come on anyway. But what do we learn as we approach the end of this series? The question always remains, so what? What do we do now? Dane Ortland, who wrote the book, Gentle and Lowly, that we've kind of used throughout uh, this series, he says this at the conclusion of his book. He says, this book is about the heart of Christ and of God. But what are we to do with this? <laughs> I love this. He says, the main answer is nothing. To ask now, how do I apply this to my life, would be a trivialization of the point. But there is one thing for us to do. Jesus says it, Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, come to me. I want to give you two absolute truths that we learn from Scripture. And the first one is this, Christ came for the sinner. Christ came for the sinner. It's a similar interaction that happens uh, a couple chapters earlier in Matthew Chapter 9 it says this, and when the Pharisees saw this, again, Jesus, who he's interacting with, they said to his, to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy 
and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Friends, hear this. The gentleness of Christ's heart moved him to the outcast. It moved him to the lonely. It moved him to the broken. Christ came for the sinner. Here's your second absolute truth. We are all sinners. We are all sinners. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Christ came for the drunkard, came for the prostitute, came for the Pharisee who was pointing his finger. He came as a friend. It's an interesting concept that, that Brian unpacked a little bit last week, that he came as one for them. And when we experience a friend who is for us, we experience one who is not approving of our sin, but who is accepting of us. Nowhere does Christ ever approve of somebody because of their sin, but he accepts them into his presence because of his gentleness, because of his loneliness, not demanding a payment. but to provide discipline for the future. That nowhere does friendship mean we coddle sin. Nowhere does Jesus ever excuse or minimize sinful behavior. But what he does is he lives with this posture of open arms saying, come. And friends, my question for us all today is do we live in that same posture? Do we live in that posture that says to those that disagree with us, to those who we would argue are more broken, messy, do we live with the posture of Jesus that says, come? Come and sit with me at the feet of Jesus as I learn from him. Come find rest at the tender heart of Jesus. Courage, not coddling. Encouraging, not excusing. Invitation, not judgment. Let's pray. Father, as we come to you, God, we... God, we come in our brokenness. God, we come in our mess. God, we come with baggage, with anger, with fear, with sadness, with brokenness. God, we come as the unlovely. But God, we rejoice because you accept us. You invite us in to lay our burdens at your feet, to find rest in your presence, to sit and to learn, God, what it means to show mercy, to show compassion, to show love, to be humble. And so, God, I pray for us, God, that we would, that we would be quick to listen quick to listen to your word, quick to listen to your teaching, 
God, that we would have eyes that would see, see who you are, who you were, what you did, how you interacted with people. God, that your life would transform us. That as your spirit works, as your spirit moves in our lives, God, as it works through our messiness, God, that we would experience the friendship that we have in you. And God, that our heart would be moved to love like you, to live like you, to rejoice because of the friendship that we have in you. God, might we hold fast to who you are, to your word, to your heart, and find rest. In Jesus' name.